Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk, and thank you for joining me for what will be the finale or the conclusion of our four-part examination into the book of the Old Testament minor prophet Malachi. And if you were with me for the previous three sermons in this series, you will know that we covered so many racial aspects that one could easily come in and say that Malachi is one of the most racial books in the Twelve Minor Prophets. And we left off at the end of part three in one of the most oftenly abused verses that we find espoused behind the modern pulpit. And that, of course, is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, where we're asked, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed ye? In tithes and offerings. Now let me point out that in my own research, and perhaps even in your own, if you do a search for this particular verse, you will see that there are countless thousands of preachers who come in and they abuse this to have their flock send them money. And what they usually do is come in and say, well, you're robbing God if you don't send me money. But what I want you to understand, and hopefully at this point in this lecture series you're able to see, That the six disputes Yahweh God has in this book of Malachi against the Israelites is laid against the priests. And that is exactly what we're discussing here. So what's interesting is while your modern false prophet will come in and say, you've robbed God because you haven't sent me your money, they're actually condemning themselves because this statement where Yahweh asks in Malachi chapter 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? The man in that context are the priests who were robbing God, not the Israelite men, women, and children that were sending the tithe. In fact, the tithe was being sent because the tithe is part of the law. And we don't have time to go into it today to actually prove that the rest of the tribes were to support the priestly tribe. And the priestly tribe was meant to be Levi. But many of those Pharisees were considered Judeans. And they came in and what they would do is they would take the tithe, the money that was given them, that was meant to go to the homeless or the hungry, and they would engage in revelry. In fact, we're even informed of that 
in chapter 3, verse 5, where Yahweh says, I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, and against the false swears, being who? The priests that Malachi is rebuking. But notice it continues on, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger, and fear not me, saith Yahweh God. So understand that is exactly what the priests were doing. The tithe was being sent, but the priests weren't building up the storehouses. They weren't giving the money to the poor, and they weren't being an instrument by which Yahweh God could bless the nation of Israel. So before we move on, I'm glad that this particular verse, chapter 3, verse 8 in Malachi, is at the beginning. Because I want to get that out the way. Many people come in and they say, hey, you've robbed Yahweh God in tithes and offerings. But it was never the people. The people were sending their tithes. The priests were not filling up the storehouses the way that they should have. And in context, I hope you're able to understand that. So the next time a preacher comes and they quote Malachi chapter 3 verse 8, in their attempt to get you to send them money so they can buy a new car, remind them that that is exactly what the priests were doing at the time of Malachi. After Yahweh God says all of this in verse 5, in verse 6 he says, I am Yahweh, I change not. Therefore, or for this cause, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. It is the fact that Yahweh God does not change, nor does His word, that we can bank our salvation upon, knowing that we will not be consumed in the end times by that fire that is to come. So, Yahweh God does not change. And He even says in verse 7, Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith Yahweh of hosts. But ye saith, wherein shall we return? Remember that we have pointed out that Malachi's structure as a book is technically a divine trial or court. Yahweh God is the heavenly prosecuting attorney. And he comes in and he says, you priests have done this, causing my Israelites to err. They sent you the tithes, they were the good people, and the priest would expect exploit that tithe. They would go and they would buy hookers. They would drink. They would engage in all of these things. False swearing and oppressing the hireling and his wages. But notice, the widow and the fatherless. A polite way of saying the widows and the orphans. That is the priest's jobs to take the tithe and make sure that their needs are met. If you're a widow or you're an orphan. But Rather, the priests were taking the tithes and likely saying, you're robbing God by not sending it. And then going out and engaging in lasciviousness. Is there anything new? Absolutely not, because we see this behavior in many of our preachers. And many of our own preachers who even began CI, who in the 50s, like Billy Graham, were very good preachers. Now, for filthy lucre's sake, we'll use this verse, found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to lay a guilt trip on the people that listen to them and say, send me a tithe so they can turn right around and rob God themselves. It is not you who send an offering or a tithe that is robbing God. But rather, it is the priests who are because they're not applying that tithe to the widows and to the orphans. And so we begin on that note. 
the robbery of Yahweh God and the curse that comes with it. Therefore, Yahweh God comes in with his next line of questioning and he says, will a man rob God? Do you think you can rob God? The word rob here means to defraud. Can a man defraud God? Well, a priest can. Because he can come in, he can take the money, he can pay his own bills, buy himself a new car. Meanwhile, the people that look to that priest for help are starving in the street and don't even have clothing. And they walk around naked. Will a man rob God? Well, many people do. And in this latter era, you will see that this behavior still exists, if not more so. Yahweh continues, Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed ye? In tithes and offerings. Now the reason he says this is because the tithes and offerings belong to God. And it is by virtue of the covenant. The agreements between man and Yahweh. So when the priests used the tithes for personal gain, they were robbing God, not the people. The priests. Continuing on. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. This whole nation. This whole race will be cursed if we allow our priests to behave like this. And let's look at it outside the box here for a moment. Because the reality of it is, is we learn from this verse right here, that this whole nation or race, being the Israelites or the Jacobites, will be cursed with a curse because the priests rob Yahweh. They robbed Him of tithes and offerings. And this always brings a curse. And I want you to understand as well, this doesn't only apply to Israel, but to every other Gentile nation. Yahweh God is not a respecter of persons. And when a man professes to be a priest and says, Yahweh God has said, when the Lord hath not spoken, he brings a national curse. A curse against our people. Why is this important? Because while we're being inundated and cursed according to the scripture... False prophets like Joel Olstein and Billy Graham are coming in and saying, you know what? You need to send me more money so we can bless the Jews. <laughs> but perhaps that's a study for another day. Point one for this final sermon is this. When a man robs God, it is because he says he is a priest and then mishandles the offerings or the tithes that are bestowed in his care. In fact, we began on that, did we not, in chapter 1? Where he says, ye have offered polluted bread on my altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? <laughs> Yahweh God said it, therefore it is true, and it is the way of the Israelites to come in and defend self. And say, we didn't rob Yahweh God. Yes, we did, and we still do. And it's not because you don't write a check and mail it to Covenant People's Ministry. It is because we tolerate and allow these priests to come in and say, we need more money. To give to Nigeria or Africa or any other nation that is not the Israelite people. And what happens? We're cursed with a curse. This whole nation, all of our people fall under that curse. And so, there finally is a command and a challenge given to these priests. The way God says, you stole from me because those tithes that were given to you of my sons and daughters was meant to go to the widow." Meant to go to the fatherless. Meant to go to those in need. Meaning Yahweh God designed it so that tithes and offerings were sent so that the golden rule would be observed. But the priests weren't doing that. 
They were going out and doing all manner of sin, just like today, and they were telling the Israelite people, you can be sinful too. Does that not sound like modern Judeo-Christianity? Indeed it does. Therefore, Yahweh God gives this command. And this command will prove what I'm saying to you today is true in regards of tithes and offerings. He says in verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice he says all of the tithes. Meaning that the priests weren't putting all of it in there. Meaning for every dollar they probably kept 90 cents. And they would put 10 cents worth of goods within the storehouse. Yahweh God says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse where the food and the clothing are meant to go to feed my people Israel when they are downtrodden. A commandment. And a commandment that has a challenge attached to it. The command is, bring ye, the priests, all the tithes into the storehouse. And the storehouse in Israel was adjacent to the temple of Jerusalem. The very temple that Malachi is rebuking and saying that these priests, who ultimately would go on to be called Pharisees, were doing just this. They were taking the tithe and they were keeping it for themselves. They were offering diseased animals in lieu of proper sacrifices. Therefore, Yahweh God says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse because the priests weren't putting all the tithes in the storehouse. And notice, while your modern priest has no problem coming in and saying, a man robs God when he doesn't send a tithe to me, they rarely quote verse 10, which says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, meaning the priest. So we can't rightfully complain when the tithes aren't being sent if we, as the preachers, do not apply it to what God's design was for the offering or the tithe. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. And if we do that, there is a sevenfold blessing of Yahweh God. If we obey, God says He will, what? Bless us. But if we disobey, how many countless times do we hear that God will curse us? We just covered that. Ye, the Israelite priests, are cursed with a curse for ye have robbed me and this whole nation. Remember that one of the promises made to Abraham was that anybody who blesses him will be blessed. And anybody who moves against him will be cursed. Now God does not split hairs here. He does not say, well, you're a priest, you have good intentions. But rather, if you hide behind the law, you better follow the entire law. So the priests then, like now, would come in and they would guilt the people. They would say, you need to send me money so I can do more good. And then they would only give a small percentage of the tithes they received to what it was designed to go for. They were considered, if you will, unjustly unriched. And that is why God is saying, not only are you robbing the nation of Israel or the race thereof, but you are robbing me in tithes and offerings. So much that God can say in verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. And then proceed to explain the blessings that will be poured out if we do. He says, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith Yahweh of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What is Yahweh saying? He's saying if we will put faith within His Word, 
what was commanded in the book of Leviticus regarding tithes, regarding divorce, regarding adultery, regarding our lack of love, regarding giving corrupt offerings, then God will what? Open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. What God is saying is that the priest did not put faith within him. The money or the tithe would come. They would take that tithe and they had more faith in the money than the fact that if they did what they were required, God would bless us. So much so that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing and there shall not even be room enough to receive it. It's not about the small amount of the tithe that is sent. It's also not about the small amount that the priest would allocate to actually blessing people. But what it's about is our lack of faith. If the priests truly believed in God, they would know that the law set it up so that everyone would be blessed. And if they, the Levitical priests, were to come in and do it, they would have a blessing so big that there would not even be room enough to receive it. But rather, they put faith within the blessings itself, the money that was sent. And it wasn't sent for them. It was sent to Yahweh God. And the priests were robbing Yahweh God, not the people. Notice through all of this, the tithes were being sent. It is not necessarily the nation of Israel that was in error, but the priests that the Israelites appointed above them to lie, to bear false witness. And ironically, just like today, the priests they erected didn't care for the poor. In fact, we're told they even oppressed the hireling in his wages. So, remember that as we move on in verse 11 here in chapter 3 of Malachi. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now, I want to digress right here. Yahweh God will rebuke the devourer if and only if we do what? If we obey. The challenge to the command is, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, meaning it is contingent on the command. And the command is, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Remember that Yahshua even taught, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. The job of the priest was to take those tithes and make sure that it went to Israel first. Because we understood once upon a time that if the Israelites were blessed, then every other nation was by extension. But now that we are not blessed, now that we are not obedient, we have locust hordes moving in, taking over our country, claiming our birthright, if you will, and the Edomite is right there prodding them along. Is it not ironic to you that as these people come into our nation, whose religion dictates they should rape our women, we have the same ideals today coming from our supposed priests? They come in and say, well, you got to love, Right? Not what scripture says. They come in and say, we need to take the tithe out of the storehouse and give those crumbs from the master's table to these proverbial non-white nations. Those nations that are by definition anti-Christ. Remember that scripture says anyone who denies Yahshua as Messiah is an anti-Christ. So we as Christians cannot make that mistake. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith Yahweh of hosts. Now, of course, you may have noticed this ties right in to Yahshua's parable of the budding fig tree. Because we're meant to look at a 
proverbial tree, if you will, and the fruits that it brings forth. Whether it is in full harvest, the time of the fruit, or the time of the bud. And able to understand and reckon the seasons. Yahweh God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes if we obey. But we have not been obeying, have we? Therefore, Yahweh God is not rebuking the devourer, is he? And we live in an era now where we as a race are being devoured with quickness and fervor. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, but notice this sevenfold blessing is contingent on our priests obeying. Which means we're not completely innocent in all of this. We're told in scripture that many times our people like to erect a false prophet who will tickle their ears and tell them what it is they want to hear. And that's what the Israelites were doing then. Unbeknownst to them, they were cursing themselves. Yahweh God is saying that. We will be cursed if we tolerate false priests. Notice, none of these charges, right? None of these charges were laid to the Israelites. The Israelites would go into the temple and they would be sold a corrupt offering by the priest. The Israelites would be sending a tithe and they would go ahead and they would apply it to their liquor or their parties, whatever it was that they were doing at that time. And unbeknownst to the Israelites, even then they did not understand that we as a race or a nation will be cursed if we appoint a false prophet over us. But what else? Verse 12, here in Malachi chapter 3. All nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith Yahweh of hosts. Meaning that the blessing of Yahweh will make any land a delightsome one. As proved by the fact that the deserts will bloom as the rose. And the waters will spring forth therein when our Messiah Yahshua reigns. Now of course I'm paraphrasing there. But that's found in Isaiah chapter 35. If we obey we will be blessed. But we're not obeying. Therefore we're being cursed. Therefore the devourer is not being stopped. And we are being devoured. And God says, who is to blame? The priests. The priests that come in and they say, hey, you, my friend, need to send me a tithe. Otherwise, you're robbing God as if he was God. But the priests are the ones who rob God. Because they don't apply the offering or the tithe, a polite way of saying an offering, to the appropriate source. So all nations shall call you blessed. And indeed, until about three years ago, every nation around the earth considered America blessed. But now, even the former Soviet Union is more moralistic than us, because at least they've outlawed homosexuality. We live in Babylon, and Yahweh God promised He would take us beyond Babylon, my friend, beyond. Meaning, we have far superseded the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we better get this right. When your priests come in and they tell you it's okay to sin... When the priests come in and say, send me your money so I can drive a nice Lexus or have a Learjet. That is why we're being cursed because we as the Israelites tolerate it. So the Israelites in this narrative, in this book of Malachi, were doing correctly. But they were being misled as a nation out of the temple of Jerusalem because the storehouse that was affixed to that same temple was empty. They were not feeding the widows. They were not clothing the naked orphans. Do you understand, my friend? Therefore, God will only bless us when we have a king like Joseph who fills the storehouse. 
so that we can eat, we can be blessed, and we can see that Yahweh God is for us. And by extension, let me point out what we just covered. Therefore, every other Gentile, non-Israelite, but pro-Adamite nation will see what manner of hope you have within you. The priests do so much damage. And usually because they come in and they excuse sin. They say it's okay that you live however you choose to. And they teach our people to murmur, to be insincere. But perhaps more than that, they teach rebellion. Remember, when sin is not rebuked, sin increases. And sin is rebellion to God. It is a transgression of God's law. So we're told right here in Malachi 3, verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, saith Yahweh. Yet ye say, what have we spoken against thee? Imagine the irony here. Yahweh God comes in and he says, you murmur. Your words have been stout against me. You're saying God is unjust. Right? You hear that in today's society. People say, if Yahweh God existed, why would he allow little babies to be put to death? Right? As if it's God's fault. That's one way of making the priest's words stout against God. Remember also, we already covered this, but in verse 17 of chapter 2, we're told, Ye, the priests, have worried Yahweh with your words. Notice here, in chapter 3, verse 13, Your words have been stout against me. That is because, in chapter 2, verse 17 of Malachi, we retort by saying, Wherein have we wearied Yahweh? And God answers by saying, When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of Yahweh, and he delights in them. Meaning that God does not delight in his genuine prophets, but he delights in evil. Therefore, God is continuing this line of questioning. In verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, Your words have been stout against me, saith Yahweh. Yet ye say, or answer, What have we spoken against thee? Verse 14. Ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before Yahweh of hosts? That is the sin of the priest. What is? Coming in and saying that the law of God is the offense. That it was nailed to the cross. That suddenly God's morality is no longer applicable to the Christian walk. Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. What a waste of time, right? Vanity, meaning shallowness, emptiness within the Greek. Ye have said, there's no profit in serving God. And what profit is there in that we keep His ordinance? Or even walk mournfully, meaning in lamentation before God or Yahweh of hosts. So, today, we go into your modern church. And there are many false prophets out there. They're even roller skating up and down the aisles. They turn the worship of Yahweh God into lasciviousness, licentiousness. They turn it into just this, vanity, because they believe it is truly vain to serve God. And on the same token, just like in the times of Malachi, when a mixed multitude comes, they open their arms and say, welcome, everyone's welcome here. God accepts you just as you are. He accepts your sacrifice, whether it's diseased or a lamed he-goat. He accepts your tithes because it's your job. To pay me, your priest. But notice, through it all, God says, You're lying. You're wearying me. You're bringing about a national curse on my people Israel. And all of this is important. 
Because here in a moment, we're going to go into chapter 4. And Malachi ends on so many prophecies that our people were looking forward to the fulfillment of for at least 500 years until John the Baptist enters onto the scene. Until Yahshua, the King of Israel, was born. You said it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we keep His law or His ordinance? So today, what we have behind the pulpit are antinomiasts who believe that the law is actually the very offense. When the law is meant to put a difference between the clean and the unclean, right? The good and the evil. So when we learn in chapter 2 of verse 17 that the priests call good evil and evil good, you can go back to the law. But notice, the priests weren't teaching them that. They were actually saying, don't listen to that book. It's the book of history. Has nothing to do with our people. <laughs> so what I want you to understand is the temple was polluted even after it was rebuilt. And the temple remained polluted even after Christ went in there with a cat of nine tails turned over the tables of the money changers and said, you turned my father's house into a den of thieves. So it stands to reason that the temple is still polluted today. And I'm not talking the temple of Jerusalem in the Middle East. I'm talking about where the new Jerusalem dwells. You and I, my friend. You and I. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org, where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is an all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit So we hope that you will allow him to lead your life and help to build his church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Our priests come in and they say it's vain to serve God because they didn't really serve God. They served their own bellies. They were robbing the tithes. They were robbing the Israelites. And the Israelites were looking to them for an answer. An answer that could never come nor be given. Because time and time again the prophets of old, their job was to come in and say, Obey! It's not as if they didn't have it. It's that the very laws they were being taught were perverted. Then, like now. Then, like now. So we must get right with Yahweh God. And we must be very careful to check our priests. Because if the Israelites were checking the spirits of the priests, they would not have been misled. It is truly impossible to enslave a Bible-believing people. And the enemy understands that. Therefore, in Yahshua's parable of the sower, the very parable in which every other parable is understood, notice he says the first thing the devil does is take away the word that is sown within your heart. The word, the very word that Yahweh God here is saying, 
are stout against Yahweh God. Have you ever been to a church and they come in and they tell you, hey, you know, Yahweh God, He requires so much. He's so wrathful, He's so angry that He had to send Jesus Christ to fix His mess, proverbially. Well, that's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, what Malachi as a book leads up to is perfect because it truly bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It really cocks over many of the things that we may not understand about Yahshua and why He did them. Why He would give a parable of a budding fig tree or a barren fig tree. Why He would renounce us as a religious institution and a nation, opening it up to the Gentiles. Because after all, it's Malachi who says, if our priests won't get us to glorify the name of Yahweh God, then the name of Yahweh God will be glorified among the Gentiles from the isles of the heathen, right? And so we live in a society today where they call good evil. They call the Jews God's chosen people and the white Anglo-Saxon Israelite, the source of all evils on the face of this earth. Why? Because our words are stout against Yahweh God, our priests. So once again, let me interject. The truth is found amongst the people, not the organized religion. The temple of Jerusalem was meant to be grand. It was meant to glorify Yahweh God, but it never did. Even from its inception, Yahweh God said, I will not live in a house built with hands, but rather I'll dwell in tents. Because Yahweh God is spirit. This is not the house of God if God is not within it. So, all of this is because of the priests. And what I want you to understand is many of the woes that are being poured out today are because of the same exact reason. Because we allow John Haggies and Joel Olsteins and Billy Grahams to come in and say, well, all you got to do is love your enemy. Why they kill you? Why they breed you out of existence? And meanwhile, Yahweh God is saying, you need to contend. Is that not what Jacob means, Sir Planner? Indeed it is. Jacob took that birthright in fulfillment of prophecy. So much that the very first chapter begins on that note. I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. So the priests come in and we were told, even then, that they'll call good evil. The Edomites are the people by which God hath reserved indignation forever. But we live in a society where they're calling that evil good. Very important key to understand. Not only that, verse 14 of chapter 3 says the priest will come in and say it's vanity to serve God. You don't want to follow the law. That's all the history of the Jews, right? So what happens? Usually man will reinvent God according to his own image. And that's what the priests were doing then. The priests knew full well what the law according to the tithe was. And that that tithe was meant to be brought into the storehouse. The priests knew full well that they could not sacrifice a lamb with spot nor blemish. But we as the people questioned it. And we became cursed. So the priests then, like now, were reinventing God after their own image. And I can prove that from verse 15. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Do you understand what's being said right here? Because it's what's being said almost every Sunday morning and Wednesday evening in churches across this land. And that is this. If you're lifted up, you're an egotist, you're a vain man, you're quote-unquote proud, well, you're happy, you're blessed, you're accepted of Yahweh God. If you work wickedness, like homosexuality, transgenderism, right? 
What does man do with that? They set them up as a role model and as an example of blessedness. One final key. They that tempt God are even delivered. They that tempt God are delivered. That is the false teaching of the false priest. And we see it today. They come in and they say, hey, you know what? Doesn't matter how you live. God has to accept you as you are. But that, my friends, is a teaching that is foreign to Scripture. Because verse 16 even talks about the day of Yahweh. The day of the Lord. And I have preached on this numerous times. But verse 16 says, Then they that feared Yahweh spake often one to another. And Yahweh hearkened and heard. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared Yahweh. And that thought upon his name. Thought upon his name. Very important. Because this right here is the Lamb's book of life. This is what we read about in the book of Revelation. We also know that only the Lamb is worthy to loose the seal on this book. But the Israelite men and women that are written within it are they that fear Yahweh and those that think upon His name. Do you fear or reverence Yahweh God? Well, we don't nationally because if we did, a majority of the things that we are tolerating in society would not be tolerated. It's common sense, is it not? So turn with me very briefly to the final chapter in the entire Bible. And we read in Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add him unto the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written In this book, not the book of life. And that is exactly what the priests were doing at the times of Malachi. They were adding to and taking away from God's word. They were calling good evil and evil good. And the Israelites were cursed as a result. In Revelation, we're told any man that does that will have his name taken out of the very book. The book we're reading about now. The book of remembrance. And within it is every Israelite who fears Yahweh God. Or reveres and meditates upon the name of Yahweh God. Now, what sect of Christendom out there actually reveres the name of Yahweh and or Yahshua? What is lacking in modern Christendom? Perhaps it happens to be the name, because that's the most important here. The second is coming in and saying the law is no longer apropos. We see that, do we not? So... We're told and reminded here by Yahweh God through Malachi that the day of Yahweh, we need to prepare for it. We need to be like the faithful remnant that you can read about in Isaiah chapter 1 right at the beginning in verse 9. We need to do that and obey because our priests will mislead us. And if we accept the priests as truth, if we allow them to come in and convince us that good is evil and evil is good, well, we're going to live in a society like now where we tolerate every evil. And while I want you to understand that everything truly comes full circle, it was for the same exact behaviors from the priests that Christ and John the Baptist would ultimately come. Do you think for a moment that we can continue to engage in those behaviors much longer before the second advent? Well, the second advent, 
goes on right after this point. He says, then they that feared Yahweh spoke often to one another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. Meaning they were murmuring against the priest. They were the ones who understood they were being lied to. And so their name was written in that Lamb's book of life. But verse 17 says, and they shall be mine, saith Yahweh of hosts. In that day, when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serves him. As a man spareth his own son that serves him. Very valuable. Number one, God sent his only begotten son. Number two, that only begotten son was what? A servant to Yahweh God. Therefore, you understand why Christ fulfilled prophecy by laying down his life willfully. And asking that the cup of wrath pass from his hands. Very important to understand not only that. Because this applies to Christ's coming and to the second advent. So consider, this is the fifth and the final prophecy given in Malachi. It is unfulfilled as many others will. There's actually ten prophecies in Malachi that are unfulfilled. It will come to pass to make up my jewels. We just read that. I will spare them as a man spares his own son. Not fulfilled yet, my friend, but will be at the return of Yahshua. Number three, then you'll be able to judge and discern between the righteous and the wicked. And we're about to read that in the next verse. So there are ten. And the ten promises are all made right here as we near the end of chapter three. Remember, chapter three in the manuscript does not end. Rather, chapter four, verse one, is technically Malachi chapter 3, verse 19. But, they shall be mine in that day when I make up my jewels. This is the 36 similitudes of believers. Meaning, we are similar to this. And there's 36 of them. Jewels is just one. God will what? Make up his jewels, and he will spare them, as a man that spares his own son that serveth them. Third key to learn from verse 17 is that a man oftentimes will not spare his own son if he does not serve him. So the Israelites are like what? Sons and daughters to Yahweh God. We are like his son. And Yahweh God will only spare us if we are servants to him. Therefore, it should make sense why Christ came and gave parables regarding servants. He even says that there will be a regathering. And if you read Isaiah chapter 11, it goes into this in detail. We don't have the time today. But if we serve Yahweh God, if we turn from the false priests, if we dutifully send our tithe, but don't allow that tithe to be robbed by God robbers, then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. Him that serves him not is what we revere, right? We were already told that. They that work wickedness are set up, verse 15. Even they that tempt God. The priest will come in and say, he's delivered, but the racist is not. The racial purist. Oh, he's an abomination in the eyes of God, but this transgender freak, he's accepted in the eyes of God, right? But that's not what we're told here. Then shall ye return. When? In that day, the second advent, when Christ returns to make up his jewels. Then and only then shall they be mine, saith Yahweh of hosts, in that day. And in that day is the day in which the entire nation of Israel will understand the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. But not until. 
Then shall ye return and discern between the righteousness and the wicked and them that serves God and them that do not. And thus ends Malachi chapter 3, at least here in the Latin Vulgate or the Masoretic King James Version of the Bible. And it's really not important that they branched chapter 4 off of chapter 3. And the reason I believe it's not important is they likely did it because the events of these final six verses we're about to read about are more important than almost anything else in the Scripture. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith Yahweh of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Them, who? The stubble, the wicked. Remember, Yahshua says, I am the root and offspring of David. But in that day, it is a great and terrible fiery day, right? And isn't it ironic that every major prophet says the day or the return of Yahshua is a day of fire? For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. The fire that will burn up the proud and the wicked like stubble, and it will leave nothing of their bodies. And that's what we've been dealing with in chapter 3. It will leave them neither root nor branch. Meaning, Esau, Edom will finally be. What? Gone. But remember, they vowed in this very book that they will rebuild, did they not? Indeed. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. What is that desolate place that they built or rebuilt? It was the temple of Jerusalem. And the Edomite still sits there today, being called God's chosen by false priests. But salvation is only offered to the righteous. Verse 2, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Notice, there can be no doubt that this refers to the second advent of Christ. He's the very Son of Righteousness. And I don't have time as well because it's getting away from me. But read Isaiah chapter 33, verse 24. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 7. Ezekiel even. Chapter 47, verse 12. Christ is equated to the sun. In the great and terrible day, we don't need the sun, the moon, and the stars because Yahshua gives us light nonstop. We abide within that light. In fact, it is the very brightness of His coming. Being the sun of righteousness that will arise with healing in His wings, not its wings, His wings, that will restore Israel and grant salvation to the righteous. Another thing to understand about this is that if Christ is equated to the sun, then it is that Satan is equated to the moon, or the lunar cycle being a lunatic. But the bottom line is, we live, breathe, because of Christ, because of grace, unmerited favor. And it does not matter how many times the flat earthers come in and want you to believe that somehow or another the sun of righteousness revolves around us. It's the other way around. The priest of Malachi's time said that, right? God does what we want. God delights in evil. So the flat earthers do this as well. We revolve around the sun. We live because of the sun of righteousness. And he will ultimately rise with healing in his wings. This is salvation to the righteous. Those that overcome the false priest. Those that overcome these corrupt offerings. This word wings in the Hebrew is kanaf. And it means an edge or extremity. Something overspreading. And here, it most assuredly refers to the healing rays 
or beings that will extend from Christ to heal all men on earth, those that are his. And to the ungodly, they will be burned up by the brightness of his coming. So grow up as calves of the stall. Next verse. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith Yahweh of hosts. Once again, we are forbidden from going out and uprooting the tail. Yahweh God put a mark upon Cain, meaning that anyone who attempted to kill him would be avenged sevenfold. He put a mark also on the second murderer in Scripture, being Lamech, and said anyone trying to avenge Lamech will be avenged seventyfold. Seven times seventy, my friend. Because part of the inheritance of Israel are seeing the rudiments and the plants that our Heavenly Father did not plant, burned with fire and ultimately gathered and burned. The wicked are to be trodden under the feet of the righteous at Armageddon. This is a promise, and a promise you can read about in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 22, or Ezekiel chapter 39, between verses 6 and 16. Ye shall tread down the wicked, they shall be ashes under the soles of our feet. And now, the last admonition to Judah, as found in chapter 4, verse 4. We're told, remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. Stopping right there. Through all of this, God says, remember the law of Moses. Because if we don't go back to the law, a priest can come in and tell you the law says this when it doesn't. Every one of these points of contention that Yahweh God has against the priests could have been circumvented by a people who were knowledgeable within the word. Therefore, we have a greater responsibility because we're commanded right here, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. With statutes and judgments. The judgments of God will never be erased. But the statutes, the ordinances, all those things pertaining to sin, atonement, and sacrifice will be. My friend, why? We covered it right here in Malachi. The priests offer corrupt sacrifices. They still do. And it does not matter if it's a he-goat, a lamb, or a bullock, or your tithe, or the food that you donate, or the clothing that you give to a mission. So, be very careful. And always remember the law of Moses, my servant. Notice God doesn't say the law is done away with. Notice God doesn't say, well, the new covenant's going to disannul the old one. He says, in the time, Judeans, because this is the last admonition given to our people, the fourth son of Jacob Israel, our brother. Remember the law of Moses. Interesting, is it not? Because they didn't. They went on, they played the harlot. And we as a people, even until this day, allow the Edomite to pit us against each other. And we war in feudal wars. We never remember the law of Moses, Yahweh's servant, because if we did, we would not kill each other. We would not allow the priest to come in and starve the hungry and rob God of his rightful tithe. So the last prophecy that is given to Judah before Yeshua's first advent is Elijah in person to return to minister to Judah just before the Messiah's second advent. And let me interject right here. We don't have time today because I only have about four or five minutes left. But I will be bringing a study in the future titled The Spirit of Elijah because for some reason this teaching on the spirit of Elijah is a source of contention. There are people who come in and say it's not John the Baptist. There are people who come in and 
rightfully believe that one of the witnesses that will be slain bodily, physically, in the book of Revelation is Elijah, because Elijah and Moses appeared with Christ during the transfiguration. That's an educated guess. But what we're told, the last prophecy given in the Old Testament to the Judeans, meaning the Israelites too, as well, by extension, is this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. So right there we're told Elijah will come. Before the day of the Lord. Not the first advent, but the second advent. And for four to five hundred years our people wondered, who is Elijah? This is why when John was incarcerated, people went and they asked him, are you Elijah? Or should we expect another? This is also why they asked Christ, are you Elijah? And he would say, what? What would he say? Christ clearly defined who Elijah was. Who came in the spirit of Elijah. And notice all of what we read is about the day that burns with an oven. Right? Fire. The great and terrible day of Yahweh. It's about the spirit of Elijah. You have to go back and read what Elijah did. But what did John do? John the Baptist baptized with water. Water. One of the steps that overcomes the great and terrible day of Yahweh. I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. This is part of the last prophecy of the Old Testament. It concerns the return of Elijah the prophet to the earth from heaven shortly before the coming of the day of the Lord. Well, the day of the Lord hasn't happened, but the first advent has. So this can only be John the Baptist. And I'll prove that in my sermon, Spirit of Elijah. But the final verse of the Old Testament and the final verse in Malachi chapter 4 is on the tail end of this teaching. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great dreadful day of the Lord. It is verse 6 and we read this. And he who the spirit of Elijah, not Elijah, but someone who comes in the spirit that Elijah had. Elijah did what? He wanted the Israelites to come to repentance. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Is Yahweh God pouring out His curses upon America? Indeed He is. So what we can deduct from the final chapter of Malachi, which is chapter 4, is that God will send Elijah the prophet before the coming and dreadful day of Yahweh, and He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And vice versa. That is the spirit of Elijah. And that, my friend, is what John did. He made straight that path. Now, in conclusion, I don't have a lot of time left. But skip over, in conclusion, to St. Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to read the words of Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 11, we read, It came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples... He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again these things which he do and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. 
Remember in Malachi, only those that are not offended, only those that are not deceived by the false Judean priests will be able in the day of the Lord to be able to put a difference between the clean and the unclean. Remember that they are the ones who see their enemy destroyed. What did Elijah do? Elijah was resurrected of the dead. In fact, he was one of the first in the Old Testament that died to self and was resurrected within the spirit. He was fed by an angel. He called fire down from heaven. He killed the prophets of Baal. And he warred against Jezebel. He's still alive bodily. He will likely be one of the two witnesses that we read about in Revelation. He is also an example of answered prayer. But I feel the key is provided here in the Gospel according to Matthew. Because if you continue to read about John the Baptist even questioning Jesus... John sent his disciples, they said to Jesus Christ, Are you, Elijah, are you the spirit that was meant to come? And he says, All these things, look at what I did. And then here, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not been risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven hath suffered violence. For the violent... Take it by force, just like the priest that we read about in Malachi. Christ continues, verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was to forecome. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. What did Christ say? Christ said John was the spirit of Elijah that was to come before the second advent. So, it's undeniable, John fulfilled the spirit of Elijah. There is no other spirit of Elijah to come unless we want to say that he might possibly be one of the witnesses because he was transfigured. How does Malachi end? Once again, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Christ said that was John the Baptist and fulfilled within his act of baptism. But he also said not everyone can have that saying. They can understand it. Only those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. And so, I hope that this four-part examination into the book of Malachi has helped you. And at least equipped you to stand against the false prophet who will come in and tell you, all sin is equal in the eyes of God, and Yahweh God accepts you just as you are. I'm sure from these four one-hour sermons, you're able to deduct on your own that Yahweh God does not accept you just as you are. He accepts you only if you are dipped in the blood of Christ. Until next time. This is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and the Covenant People's Church wishing you and yours great studies war for Christ Amen Covenant People's Ministry Thank you for listening to this message We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us Remember the words that Christ has given that wherever two or three are gathered in my name there I am in the midst of them We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions, and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. 
or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings, and we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.